So, Tony, do you have any fun little Halloween facts? Yes. Well, if you mean fun Halloween facts about the the production of the movie Halloween. What else could I possibly mean? Yes, that I do. That they had just, they filmed it in Pasadena, California, but yep. it took place in Haddonfield, Illinois. Yes. <laughs> You're very excited about this. <laughs> I love facts. You probably, I think you probably already know this. Probably. They had, um, they had one bag of leaves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, because they were filming it to take place in fall in Illinois and yeah. you know, California doesn't have seasons and it was the seventies. So there was like, there wasn't as much climate change yet. Right. So it actually was fall in Illinois. So they just took the leaves out of the bag and put them on the street for the shot. And picked up every single leaf. Yeah, and then at the end of the shot, they had to rebag the leaves and move them to the next shot. I respect that. That's when when movie making was, let's say, art. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a form of art in itself. Oh, yeah, that's a special effect, really. Speaking of special effects, I'm pretty sure that just made a, a glass sound. I, I can't hear it <laughs> on oh, our yeah. monitors, but mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it happened. Um, so that'll be fun. we find out if that worked or I'm not. I'm hearing something shatter. <laughs> it might be my hopes and dreams. <laughs> it very well could have been. Um, I, I'm very excited about it. Uh, Andrew. Yes. This is effectively the start of our second season. Yes. And this is my, that's my fault because we were going to record and I had to keep pushing it back. But It's fine. I, mean, I, I, uh, I have a bit that I want to run by you. Okay. Here's right, the bit. Here's the bit. Yeah. So um, it's, been, it's been a long time since we recorded. It's officially fall now. Yes. Um, we have we recorded... Uh, the last we recorded, it was at the very beginning of summer. Yes. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you some big news events that happened throughout the summer. Okay. And I want you to res- give me a response to how you think or feel about them. And I'm going to give you a max of three words. Three words. Per, per event. Per response. Okay. Now, some of these things we might end up talking about more, but some of these things we might not come back to. Yeah. Um, but just unabashed, unedited, just how you feel about it, max three words. Okay, I'm, so I'll, I'm game. I'm going to start you off with an easy one. Barbara Bush dying. Uh, extremely horny. Uh, couldn't not, couldn't be uh, any no, horny. Three words, three words. You got to... Extremely rain. horny. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um... Totally three words. Yeah, I was, just, no. I was expounding on the fact that yeah, the horniness you, was. Um, you were, you were, screaming. yeah, you were going in. Oh, I respect that. <laughs> I, I think. Um, this might happen before this, but the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, kill the monarchy. <laughs> Is that too much? <laughs> no, it's a thing that we're going to put on our podcast for the world to hear. Yes. <laughs> Uh, hey, this guy, totally in favor of uh, regicide. That's cool. <laughs> the um, the North Korean United States summit. Round boy holiday. <laughs> Just a bunch of <laughs> spherical lads having a time. I love it. <laughs> I've taken to calling Donald Trump our big fat president, which a lot of people do. Yeah, I, um, I get it. <laughs> A very distinguished professor just heard me doing that and just came over and joined me in the conversation. <laughs> I, I won't say who, who who this person was out of like respect, you yeah. know. It was Tom Hanks' brother, wasn't it? The entomologist, completely yeah. unfazed, was just like joining the. Oh God, what do you do this time? Um, <laughs> what I like that we're at that point in this country where what did he do this time can refer to only one person. Yeah, and, and just, it's it's common knowledge. That's yeah. great. Um, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy announcing his retirement. 
don't retire, bitch. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's good. He he hired a clerk, but like I think if you're still alive, you still are allowed to get a clerk. Like oh. John Paul Stevens is like 95 and still gets a clerk. That, okay, I'm, that's not in the Constitution. It's not. And I think we should probably like somehow impeach him for it. I think that's just like a perk of the job. That's some bullshit. Like you basically, like you retire from the Supreme Court and every year you get to hire a butler for a year. Like what does that person do? Right. If you're not writing anything of value as far as like opinions of the court. Yeah. What are you doing? Why do you need a clerk? Yeah. It's, it's as if you, the the mall closed, but they still have to repair the escalator. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you don't need, the only reason we have the escalators to get you to the food court. Yeah. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless you live in Champaign where everything's on the first floor. Right, exactly. Yeah. A world without escalators. R.I.P. Bergners. The United States withdraws from the Human Rights Council of the U.N. Ooh, that's a tough one. Like, I... Uh, gray nothingness? I, I feel nothing <laughs> about that. It's... it's, just, it's like, isn't it... It always has, like, some insane country on it that's like talking about human rights like yeah i don't know saudi arabia yeah always it feels like saudi arabia is a permanent member of the human rights council oh yeah let's do let's do a to transition saudi arabia allows women to drive wow i mean did they though (laughs) (laughs) that's my three words (laughs) I'm sure there's some really insane <laughs> restrictions still. Uh, if I know anything about Saudi Arabia, and I do, <laughs> is that it's not quite what it seems. It's like they had to like, like classify opening the refrigerator as operating a light truck. Yeah. And it's exactly. like, well, we have to let you do that to make the food. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, um, you can drive in a car in that you are in the car when it is being driven. Yeah. And it is not haram. <laughs> Um, okay. Ooh, I had more, and I ended my list there for some reason. Were you going to ask me how I felt about all the uh, comments of RuPaul not being nice to contestants on the show RuPaul's Drag Race? Oh, yeah, what's the deal with that? You know more about Um, this than I do. Three words. Girl's a pro. When you're a pro, you don't have quite the same joy in things. Uh Uh-huh. When you get to a prodom of things, you, you don't you don't quite have the same common excitement that they. I mean, this yeah. is their first time through it. It's your tenth or seventh or whatever year it was. Yeah. How many times can you be excited about that exact same ring and roll? Yeah. Okay, I, I remember. I remembered one. This oh. this will be my last one. It's a softball. I'm gonna lob at you. Yeah. Um. So so get ready. It's easy. Uh. Embassy in Jerusalem officially opens. Without... Oh. Palestinian suffer everywhere. Um, I will be invoking my Fifth Amendment right to not increase. No, uh, um, ah, mid Mid East is 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 two words, isn't it? No, I'll count it as one word. Because I was just going to say nuke the Mid East. Uh, oh, well, start well. over. Okay, Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> Okay, John Bolton. There's not there's not a problem that can't be solved by just destroying humanity. <laughs> just end it now. <laughs> I frankly would be very relieved. It would be such like imagine when you see that flash and you know the fireball's coming and yeah. you have like a few seconds of life left. Yeah. Where you're just like <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> like 
<laughs> you just sat down after a long day on your feet. Yeah. yeah I had um freshman year biology of high school. We had a teacher who was a little... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. I made a hand motion that no one else could see. It looked like the hand was riding a wave, like but away, away yeah, from you. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned it from Kramer from Seinfeld. It was very Kramerian. Yeah, that's I picked that one up from him. That's the adjective of Kramer, by yeah. the way. Um, Kramerian. So he was a little bit of like a, I don't want to say a conspiracy theorist, but like as much as like a, he was probably a little out there for you know the scientific realm, and he was obsessed with the the Yellowstone caldera, the supervolcano. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is overdue to blow, technically. If you look at, like, the average amount, like, the average spans of, like, thousands of years when it blows, it's right. overdue by, like, a few thousand years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's hard to make it from a sample set that we don't have that long of a... Yeah, yeah. I, I, get what, I get what the time and, is. And he would all... Every, every, like, every week, he would bring it up, and he would be like, you know, by the way, like, that caldera is going to blow. The super volcano, and it's going to cover over half of this country. And I want to be, you know, I don't know if I want to be as close to it as possible. So I'm one of the first ones to die or, or I want to be like super far away. But here's the thing. If you're super far away, you're going to be affected. It doesn't matter because you'll just die longer. So I kind of want to be closer every week. <laughs> that was my Catholic school experience was much different than Brett Kavanaugh's. <laughs> and to respond to that, my weekend was good, too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I was thinking I want to be close. To the giant mega volcano that's going to destroy us all because the pain will be minimized. Will this be on the test was the response. <laughs> it, was. it was. How likely is it that we're going to die in the next few years because of this giant uh, magma surge yeah. from the... yeah. And frankly, he was right. I, I, I await the days. I await the damn days. It's going to be great. If it's not the seas just boiling and, and overtaking all land and turning Siberia into a, a bayou... Mm-hmm. Then it's going to be yeah something like the Earth just literally rupturing yeah. and, and swallowing us whole yeah which is you know six of one half dozen the other yeah I'm cool I'm game I'm down for whatever yeah have we played the music no we could just we're we're, we're doing a little uh we're off spilling. the cuff yeah we're spilling. I'm gonna see if I can actually play the music let's see if it works because we have I upgraded technology this summer uh, because I was um, sad and alone. Um, yeah, so it looks like we're going to have some music playing now. It, it is playing. Ooh. The music's playing, and at some point, you can't hear it, though. Uh, it's going to be the big dog. signal when the music stops ah! <laughs> it's over oh like a visual signal yeah oh sorry andrew you uh we have a new studio we do have a new let's say studio do you want to walk me through and give me a tour of the studio no one else can see it so you'll just have to paint a word picture okay if you look past the marble floors you see those arches in the distance yeah those aren't real that's a closet over there okay and it's got stuff in it yeah. Uh, and then there's a bookshelf full of uh, a painting. of books. One of them is uh, there's a framed uh, MRI of my wife's brain. Really? That's, that's yes. 
Wow. She had this really bad headaches and she got worked up for it. And they're worried like, oh, maybe it's who knows what it was. And it turns out it's just migraine headaches. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we have an MRI of her brain. You know what? That's that's not a bad thing to have. Yeah. I feel like no one's ever said, man, I wish they didn't MRI my brain. You know, if like someone broke into the house and was like, give me a thing of value. And you'd be like, here. Yeah. (laughs) They'll go. What's this for? It's like, well, You're like, well, it's it's an MRI of my wife's brain because I respect her intelligence the most. And he'll be like, that is valuable, and he'll leave. Yeah, he will be like, wow, you gave me a lot to think about. That's how crime works. Yeah, crime, <laughs> crime, it does pay, right, Detroit? <laughs> if I'm wrong, please email me at whitehouse.gov. I was just about to say president at White House. I'm sure it's not president at whitehouse.gov. I'm sure it's like oh, I'm sure it tittymaster97 at whitehouse.gov oh, or something. I'm sure it is. Just the, the dumbest shit. Yeah. Because we are in that like incredibly dumb period of time. There, no, there's like got to be someone on the Trump team who that's like his way of thinking like, you know what? Yeah. If we change the presidential email address to like, <laughs> like tittyblaster69 at whitehouse.gov, <laughs> they'll never suspect it. Uh, yeah. Um. Like, that's... <laughs> the problem with the Clinton server and the emails is that it was just too obvious. Yeah, that's true. That it was like Hillary Clinton, like, like Hillary, you know, like, <laughs> you'll, you'll get, you'll like, you have to register for an email address and there'll already be like five Hillary Clintons, so it'll be Hillary Clinton six. Yeah, yeah. Like, she was like Hillary Clinton, like six at Clinton. <laughs> Clintonland.net. Yeah, there was, there was already like five Hillary Clinton emails. <laughs> Like, he just addresses... I could see her, like, keep registering, and she keeps on forgetting the password. So instead of resetting it, she just makes a new one. Just, like, yeah. going down the line, like, well, I'm up to Hillary Clinton 14 now. I keep on forgetting if I named it after the kid, or if I did it after the dog that we had at the time. She just, like, has a password, and it's one word, but then she just changes the numbers every time. Yeah, it's absolutely... Whitewater 38. <laughs> every year, I just up it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Vince Foster reference to throw in there, but maybe that's too much too soon. Uh, Poor guy. He he didn't get murdered. No. Or did he? Did I he? mean I mean he did. But if he only, didn't, he didn't, he didn't. If only there was some sort of independent counsel that could investigate whether or not Vince Foster was a suicide or a murder. I'm gonna put it out there. Is Kenneth Starr the worst person? Oh, I think so. Because he's like if he's not he's right up there. And that's not even counting all the lives he either ruined or tremendously degraded during that investigation. Yeah. All the people he messed with, like, yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Just seeing what he did to a young woman in Monica Lewinsky who, yeah. like, had otherwise a very bright future. Yeah. yeah. And then just, like... Took advantage of her. Yeah. Like, the, the FBI, you know, cajoled her into meeting someone at a hotel bar and they just, like, like... Uh, snuck her away into a hotel room to interrogate her without an attorney present. Yeah. You know. No, he was a bad person. No, it was terrible. And then, of course, he was head of Baylor University when they had a tremendous sexual assault and, and yeah. non-reporting problem. Like, oh, oh my God. Insane. Ken Starr is actually back in the news because he just released a book. It's called yeah. It's called Contempt. <laughs> what I have for, for justice and the truth. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is it's called contempt, but it's not like how everyone feels about Ken Starr. It's just how he <laughs> still feels about like the Clintons and how the results of the investigation turned out. It's, it's baffling. I mean, let's be clear here. I am no fan of the Clintons yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and I certainly think that Bill Clinton is a monster. Yeah. And an unrepentant one, really. Yeah. Where he apologized for like the least offensive thing he did. Yeah. And that was it. 
Um, and then the entire Democratic Party apparatus sustained and supported him. Yeah. And basically turned until, him into a proxy for the whole party. Until now, yeah. Until, until, but and, even then. And even continuing. But, like, who who, who has explicitly condemned him? Gil, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. That's it. Yeah. So as far as I know. She's the one, like. I think she's the only person that's done that, yeah. Of the mainstream Democrats, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, okay, that's one. Well, wow. do you think that, that they're ever going to do that with Bill? I mean, maybe, like, I, I think he would have to die. I mean, and I, I'm me, listening. <laughs> Well, that's just going to sound like bad. I don't mean like No, what I mean Where's is like the downside? he's he's going to have to like actually pass away and they're yeah. going to have to do the big presidential funeral and he's going to have to be like buried in the ground for 5 years before anyone touches that. Besides Kristen Gillibrand. And maybe maybe something will happen in 2020 where that comes out and becomes a thing because if Kristen Gillibrand runs and she will, yeah. she's probably going to lean into that as like a progressive credential. I um, would think so. But I don't think it's going to like actually become in vogue until uh there's more distance you know i would definitely agree with that i think that it as much as that's the right thing to do we're talking about politicians here and it won't gain her a single vote yeah it will not gain her the 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 much rumored moderate vote oh no they don't exist one and then two they're not gonna the moderates that would one day vote republican the next day vote democrat aren't swayed by this because if they were they would have been swayed already yeah uh do you i don't know because I was still pretty young, but maybe you remember the early 2000s when the Democrats would try it on Clinton as, like, the progressive voice of the party. And he was, like, a reason that they would appeal. They would, like, bring him out to, like, try to appeal to progressives. Yeah. Which is kind of wild. He's he's really been all over the place. He, well, the early 2000s Democrats were a weird place to be in. Because, like, if you think about it, the real progressive that ran in what would have been 04, I don't think he was, I think he was still in the race in 04, was Howard Dean, who's, of course, now a total uh, party functionary. Yeah. But he was like, he was Bernie pre-Bernie. He was the, you know, small donors, internet donors. The 50-state uh, strategy. Yep, and and not going for corporate money, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And he he did that then, and he pushed a real milquetoast pile of candidates further left. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, to an extent, Bill Clinton did that, because he had the gravitas at that point. After years literally eight years of triangulating mm-hmm. and nipping away at that middle. Yeah. He finally tacked slightly left, but at that point it was all too late. Oh well, yeah. And I mean, it's easier to do that when you're not the president anyway. Yeah. So, well, I mean, look at the tone that, that a guy like Barack Obama's striking yeah. right now mm-hmm. when he spent years with like Tim Geithner and, Oh yeah, the, the the driver's seat of the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, uh, the saying Medicare for all is a good idea now. It's like, well, it was always a good idea. Yeah, it was yeah. a good idea then. It always was a good idea. And he'll say, like, he was, oh, you know, floated the public option, but it didn't get any traction. Yeah. But it's also there is no leadership in the Democratic Party. Whatever. We can litigate this forever, and this is not a... Well, I had two, I had two topics for our... Um, there's just a, a driver's license over there that I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> my old New York license. I, oh, my I goodness. used to be a New Yorker. You don't have a beard in that picture. I, I was 16 in that photograph. Wow. Yeah. That would have been my, my driver's license photo until like 2024, I think, if I renewed it to the maximum extent with the prior to photos. You look better with the beard. It's true. I also look less the you know less 16 with the, the beard. Yeah. I'm looking really up for some reason. Like you tra- you are. Like I'm trying to look over something like, oh, what's going on behind that guy over there? The new thing with Illinois licenses is just extreme close-ups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I had one for a hot minute. And it was, uh, 
I wore a white t-shirt and a gray hooded sweatshirt. Yeah. I looked like I had just been released from prison. <laughs> I really did. Like you're just handing me stuff. Yeah. They're like, well, mm. you might as well go get a license now. And they're yeah. like, well, here's here's what effects you had when you came yeah, in, effects, sir. Yeah. <laughs> 73 cents and change. Yeah. A bus, a bus ticket one way and that's it. Yeah. Um, so I figured the two... Uh, well, you know what? We can make it three. Probably biggest stories to talk about. One would be uh, the death of Senator John McCain. Uh, yeah. America's Dancing Queen. Um, the second would be maybe Senate elections that are coming up. Yeah. And the third would be, um, and there's a lot to go here, would be the open Supreme Court seat, Justice Kennedy retiring, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and everything Supreme Court related, which could take, you know, we could just record from now until the end of the week. We could just sit here looking at each other and and not cover everything. Yeah, the heat death of the universe could come and go, and we'd be like, well, there's some other thing to consider. I do want to, just because of recency, talk about Judge Kavanaugh. I will not concede that he's Justice Kavanaugh yet. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was so ready to say it. I'm, you know, the law nerds know there's a difference. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna say this about it. There, there have been people that wrote about it, like in in Current Affairs. Nathan Robinson wrote a great piece on it, and others have noted it. Um, you can tell that Brett Kavanaugh was never a trial judge. Yeah, and you can also tell that he did not actually represent people in court that much. Yeah, he was so bad at answering questions. He was. Imagine if uh, if you were at a trial with a trial judge and you answered a question on examination the way he answered a question. Mm. And he kept doing it for like a long time. Just yeah. not answering questions, ducking, you know, giving imprecise answers, not being held to account for it by anyone, including Democrats, my yeah. dad. It was so obvious that he's just a creature of this bizarre uh, cradle to grave legal world. Yeah, where you and don't so do anything. I think it, I think it's important to note that for a lot of people who might not know about the ins and outs of the court systems, that you have the trial judge level, and then an appellate court judge, which is what he is right now. Yep. would hear would not be a trial in the in an in an appellate process. It would just be the two lawyers arguing in front of a panel of judges. Yeah, and they're asked questions by the judges. That being said, what actually happened in that. Um, hearing was him showing a knowledge of the law but outright ignoring it because yeah. as being a law student I can't I can't believe that an appellate judge um, in a in a pretty busy docket it's the DC circuit I mean I talk mean, about I, I will say you know the DC circuit's going to get a lot more regulatory based cases well, it's, yeah it's not like you know the 7th circuit which is where Chicago is or the 2nd circuit which is where New, New York, York is 9th circuit might have a lot of might have a lot of appeals from trials um, from trial courts DC circuit might have a lot more things from regulatory agencies sure and but that's he, a lot of his pay yeah. has been made but a lot of the things an appellate judge will see or do will be making law on what actually is supposed to happen in trial courts. Yeah. And how evidence is presented and what evidence means. And evidence will be a big thing that actually comes up. And he just ignored that. I can't believe an appellate court judge would just not be aware of that just because he's from the regulatory side, like appellate court. Right. Essentially. 
he was to me when I when I saw clips of that and watched like portions of it, he was clearly ignoring what a good judge would know to do. And I would say what a good lawyer would do because I think as lawyers we're supposed to be taught to show that standard of ethics. Yeah. Regardless of the situation. Right. And he took advantage of the fact that no one really knew or cared, you know, in the case of Republicans. Right. And, that, that, and that's what it was. It was that he knew that there was going to be the preponderance of people in that room were not going to hold him to account. Exactly. And then the other half, I don't know if they have the... Um, well, it's it's my thing with Kamala Harris, where it's like, she would know. She was a prosecutor. She, she, she should know, she, for sure. And, I think there's no way she didn't because I mean I think she was a good she was a skilled prosecutor yeah but you know how are you gonna they what they had like five minutes a senator right it was five minutes of direct and then it was f- another five minutes from that uh, I, hired gun I guess you would say yeah and I I didn't watch what Kamala did with what Kamala Harris did with Brett Kavanaugh but so maybe maybe I'm wrong but you know I I feel like if anyone's in a position to have made a lot of waves it, it would have been her. Based on her experience, um, I think the only one that actually like needled him really was Klobuchar and oh, uh, Leahy. Uh, Senator Durbin made a big impact. He made a big splash. I didn't see I didn't see Durbin's. I, I missed him, but I, I did see Leahy talk and yeah, kind of rattle him. And then Klobuchar. Klobuchar had like a, a big moment because she actually gave a portion of her time to talk about you know her own father's struggles with alcoholism. Yeah. Um. Did, did, so you watched the clip then where. You know, Klobuchar, she talks about that and how that impacted her life. And then she asks Kavanaugh if he had ever drank in so much where he couldn't remember things. Yeah, to excess, I think. Was and it. Kavanaugh very just bluntly and extremely rudely asks, like, I don't know if you. Yeah. And I saw that and my jaw dropped because I'll, I will go back to, and this is a, this is a big, this situation is, is very different from like Neil Gorsuch. Sure. Who I think that, you know, pound for pound, if we're just looking at the law and how the law is interpreted, Kavanaugh, if you just look at, like, the case law, could be more palatable than Gorsuch from just the legal interpretation. I mean, it, it's all bad. It's just a question it's, of... It's, it's, it's all it's bad. It's how well they can frame their bad argument. Yeah, but it, it's also like a, a... bad faith argument. If, if it's a question of how far they're going to tack right, Gorsuch is like a little Clarence Thomas. Yeah. And Kavanaugh might be a little bit more like Alito... Where he he's gonna do terrible things and you can't stop him, but maybe he'll like surprise you. I think he'd be like Roberts in that way, where Roberts is by mere sheer circumstance being forced towards yeah. the center. Yeah. Um, but I think a, a big thing that people came out with from the uh, from the hearings that happened on uh, Thursday was Kavanaugh's temperament and like his ability to be a judge. Right. And that, when he said that to Klobuchar, I was like, oh my God. Like, you. And a big thing I had with the, the Gorsuch thing was that, like, I felt like he was evading questions, that he just was, like, not answering them, that he was, like, a little condescending, like, a little bit like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because you're not a judge. Right. And that's what they all do. Sure. But I think Gorsuch was especially smug. But Kavanaugh just straight up was, I think, very insulting to senators. If I was a senator, I would have I just straight yelled at him. It was it was something it was a sight to behold. It was, and I you know not the first not the five hundredth to point it out, but that was yeah. the response of a drunk person. Yeah, it was a response of a person that, and the fact that no one asked him if he had been drinking that day, I yeah. think, is a missed opportunity because one, it's great political point scoring. Oh yeah. If you say if a 
na- name the the senator that's not you know one foot in the grave mm-hmm. that wants a political career and that just says like you know Judge Kavanaugh, have you had any drinks today? Yeah. What's the downside? He goes, "How dare you again?" Yeah. He spent five minutes screaming, "How dare you!" in yeah. his opening remarks. Yeah. You you have nothing to lose apart from the the absolute feigned indignance from uh, Kavanaugh and his functionaries on the the Senate. That's all you got. Yeah. There's no downside, and you gin up a lot of controversy, in, and your name is there. Yeah. And the guy looked fucking drunk. Yeah. <laughs> on top of it all, he looked like he was five or six drinks in. He looked mad. He. He was mad. Oh. He was emotion. the The phrase in psychiatry is he was emotionally labile. Yeah, he had this lability of of his emotions where he was screaming one minute and then crying the next. Sometimes about really mundane shit, mm-hmm. which is very much a drunk person move. Yeah, and a a, a regular drinker move. Yeah, the uh, he crying about um the calendars that his dad kept. Yeah, which I thought that was strange. Work like go, doing sports and like yeah. working out and stuff like. Mm-hmm. It to me that you frame it like that. It's like I did all this stuff. I checked all the boxes. Why am I not already on the court? Yeah. Well, and you know, my my uh, soon to be trial lawyer was was kicking in, and I you know I feel like any any lawyer with his salt would be him or her would just say like, oh, this very relevant, irrelevant, irrelevant. Um, Doctor Ford's testimony, I think, was pretty direct, yeah, to the point in terms of the actual story of what she alleged, and I think Kavanaugh's was like sh- should have just been very limited to talking about what sh- what that actual allegation was considering the fact they didn't bring in any other witnesses or any other person who was alleging anything against him right uh i don't know it, um it, it is it was a it was a show it was a, a real dog and pony show um despite the fact that dr ford was so forthright i think for my viewing of things and even when there were you know holes in the story as far as like don't know it was a i don't know yeah it was a forthright i don't know as opposed to a i'm gonna try and weave my way through this yeah um responses were often framed in terms of her area of expertise yeah um you have to wonder how much of that formative experience pushed her down that path in her life yeah oh i think which is pretty like it's yeah it's at once inspiring and bleak to think about yeah in that sense um I mean, you know, I certainly can't make a, a call as to as to her specific expertise in that area, although she clearly was an expert in, you know, the way memory works. Right. And could talk about how her memory worked in relation to that. I, I come, in terms of, like, my background, in, uh, more of a knowledge of, like, labor and employment law and, like, disputes between unions and employers and a big thing that happens in in litigation between those parties is credibility determinations. Right, right. Which in an administrative sense is, I mean, it's kind of like the wild, wild west compared to what happens in like a trial court. And it's just like the judge is making a determination of credibility. And I could not see a judge making a credibility determination favorable to Kavanaugh. Not at all. Um, I I couldn't. I mean... It it was wild. it It was a sight to behold... It, I think, in addition to, like, the the Kaczynski stuff that came out a few months ago and yeah. a bunch of other, you know, the whole Me Too and... Areas that movement. they're not even going to ask him about. Right. But the, it, it, it pulled back the veneer of, of a lot of um, what is being an Article Three judge. Yeah. And 
the the real danger is assuming that you know Kavanaugh gets pushed through because that's certainly what they're trying to do. Yeah. Even with this you know sham week long FBI investigation, which is hilarious by the way. Yeah. A week, um, with limitations. Put that out there. Um, you're gonna undermine the the one thing that every legal system is predicated on is is legitimacy. Yeah. And if it feels like it's not legitimate anymore, where do you go from there? Now, I, that was going to be my transition because um, I, I don't make a secret of, and I, I tell people that I, I do not have any legitimacy. Well, <laughs> wait. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, stop. Withdrawn. <laughs> um, I do not have any faith in the legitimacy of Article Three judges at this point. And I have to extend that not just to the federal areas of the judiciary that I disagree with, but in terms of, you know, circuit courts of appeals. It's just a system that I don't trust because you have judges appointed. You know, we still have judges that were appointed by Carter. Yeah. Now, I like, I, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about Jimmy Carter, who happy 94th, 94th birthday, by the way, as of this recording. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but I mean, we've had judges in, you know, for 40 years and some of them take senior status and keep hearing cases. Right. Um, they'll hear cases up until the day they die. And I, they can't, they're rarely impeached. They can do whatever they want. Um, was the last time an Article Three judge was impeached? You know, it, it does happen, but it just hasn't really happened. Hey, like no. uh, mo- most of the ones that have occurred are more of like historical note. Like one of yeah, the ones I'm thinking happened. of are, I think there was one in the Supreme Court that ended up just quitting. Like Johnson was going to promote him to chief justice, I think. Yeah. And he was he had some shady real estate things. And he was like, I'm just going to quit instead. But, you know, the, when you say, oh, name a justice who was impeached, I go all the way back to, like, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Yeah, I mean, who, it's a long time ago. Yeah, playing politics with it. I, I mean, I definitely remember that, uh, I don't know about Supreme Court justices, but I do know that, like, Article Three judges were impeached fairly regularly in, like, the late 1800s, I want to say. I think the only Supreme, there's only been one Supreme Court justice ever impeached. Yeah. And I want to say it was Samuel Chase, hmm. who was... Also in Abraham Lincoln's cabinet, I think his last name was Chase. So we can't quote me on this, but I am positive, and I will I will say that I'm that there's only been one Supreme Court justice ever impeached, yeah. and it was the same sort of like you know, there there's been presidents impeached, but then they're just found not guilty, right? So, right. um, so my my follow up anyways, you know, I'm I'm already at this point where I think that Article Three needs serious. Amending, and I do not have any faith in the legitimacy of, particularly the Supreme Court, which I think is a just a political institution. Oh, for sure. And I'll talk about this with other lawyers. The lawyer, lawyers will ask me, "This is like a weird lawyer thing, where it's like, you know, why are we, why are we a group of people? Yeah. Where they'll say, hey, what would you change about the Constitution?' And it's like, I, it's just, okay. I mean, I guess that's a question we should be asking every American. Like, that's well, a, yeah, it's a living document, right? Um, <laughs> and I always say I would change Article Three, and I don't think that judges should be appointed for life. And every person I've said that to will freak out, and they'll do the the standard cookie cutter lawyer arguments, where it's like, well, don't you think elected judges will have you know too many problems and be beholden to their voters? And every almost every state does it that way, though. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but almost every state does it that way. Right, and if you take the view, which is correct i don't care what anyone says it's correct that law reflects society yeah as opposed to existing outside of it like some weird metaphysical concept yeah 
that's the only thing that actually makes sense. Yeah. If you have, even if you just simplify the removal process, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be. If you if you somehow take it outside the realm of impeachment as it is now, yeah. Also, I mean term limits, but whatever. I said term limits. I also think maybe maybe retention votes. Maybe they're appointed. But they're subject to retention votes. Yeah, hey, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, that's... and I, I think that's what Missouri does. And I think Missouri has a very unique state judiciary system where there's, you know, mandatory retirement. There's a, like a maximum age. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, there's a retention vote. And the the appointments are subject to like, they're recommended to the governor by um, independent commissions. Yeah. You know, I think that there's more ways to do the Supreme court nominations, especially than what we're doing now. And part of my issue is especially when people bring up like, Oh, elected judges are more subject to political capture than federally appointed judges. And it's like every argument someone says to me, I think it's already true of the, of the federal judiciary. I think they're more political. Honestly, there is at least let's put it this way. The average, let's, let's say you, Grant me that there's a um, a definite party-based approach to nominating yeah. judges, right? Yeah. The average, let's say, Republican voter, because I'm just going to use them because they're you know terrible and evil. Yeah. Uh, the average Republican voter feels no feelings towards any particular uh, Article Three judicial nominee. Yeah. Because they're all a bunch of ivory tower eggheads. <laughs> yeah. And they are not part of that world. Whereas you have groups like the the Fed suck and all them that are literally designed tailor-made to instill a a viewpoint into the judiciary yeah exactly a judiciary that again you're not getting out of it unless you quit you're impeached Mm -hmm. or you get pelican briefed yeah and that's a really like at least the voter can get mad at some point and say no more or you know there there are there are punishment votes all the time yeah happens all the time Mm -hmm. and if it's not subject to a vote, there can't be a punishment vote. And if you have to attenuate it by you have to vote for the not only the representatives to do the actual impeachment part, then you have to have the Senate, which also needs to be abolished, by the way. Uh, yeah. The Senate has there to be the one go. that convicts. Yeah. So you have this tripartite attenuation of popular will. Yeah. Whereas a direct election is just an election. Yeah. The end. You know, what you said was interesting. I saw a tweet. A tweet, Andrew. A tweet. I've heard of these. Um, it was, uh, it showed a portion of, I think it was the Socialist Party platform about 100 years ago during what is called the Lochner era when the <laughs> Supreme Court was <laughs> handing down decisions um, that were explicitly anti-populist, that were, anytime there was a um, popular or let's just say like worker or employee wage and hour stuff wage and hour stuff that was favorable to you know the mass of people or against corporate interest against business interests um against what could be classified today as as very you know big c conservative interests supreme court would just strike it down yeah and it's considered you know a an example it's taught as an example of what judges should not be doing and in response the socialist party platform was literally the senate needs to be abolished the Supreme Court should not be allowed to make decisions of constitutional law that affect what the will of the people desires. That should be up to the people, either based on what Congress says or passes or like a direct referendum to the people. Right. Um, and that the Supreme Court should be subject to term limits and things like that. And it's kind of, you know, in a... I think that we've been comfortable with the Supreme Court for, you know, let's just say the 1940s until... 
the past couple of years, but the cracks were already showing um, because of how the appointments have been done since, let's say, just say the 80s, <laughs> just yeah. to pick a decade out of thin air. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, what was it? What was it West Coast Hotel was the, the breaking point for um, the FDR era where it sort of... You know, I don't remember the specific case. I think it was around... It, it was around... It wasn't maybe not that case. Maybe it was, uh, you know. Um, but where, like, where that viewpoint sort of became... Yeah. explicitly over, being overruled by the court. The switch in time that saved nine. Yeah. God, lawyers are... Go. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the entirely craven, might I add, response to FDR going, well, fuck it, we're going to pack the courts. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. We're just yeah. going to... Please don't impugn my important job where I am yeah. the, the power broker of the world. Yeah. Again. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's war game this out a little bit. So let's say... Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed... I think Jeff Flake is going to be a big it's going to be a big show. Yeah. I think that I think there's three Republicans that are uh, maybe votes. And the three to watch are Flake, Collins and Murkowski. I think that Flake will vote for him. I think Collins will vote, vote for, for him. him. I think Murkowski might vote against him. Yeah, I think that's a definite I think I think maybe. of those three I'm not saying that Murkowski is the most moderate, but I think no. of her Flake and Collins, I think that Murkowski has the most backbone. She's also shown the most uh discomfort with the entire yeah. um controversy surrounding Kavanaugh and just in in general. I uh, mean maybe, maybe it's an Alaska thing, that independent streak. Alaska is an odd it, it's sui generis. It yeah. really is. It has its own politics. It's it's, it's very very different. Um people say that that she you know she basically in her electoral history um got beaten in a primary once by like a, a tea party-esque candidate ran as an independent and won with the support of alaskan native populations there's a pending supreme huh. court case that would directly affect fishing and like land rights of those populations and they're urging her to vote against kavanaugh i think that she that coupled with these credible allegations I think Murkowski might be the most solid no vote. I I can see that. I will say that Alaska is so they've got a the regulatory stuff matters because Kavanaugh has in the D.C. Circuit you get to he shows his hand a lot because he's doing a yeah. lot of regulatory law. Yeah, and he is um, a dead-eyed psycho when it comes to regulatory law. This yeah. is like the guy you know citing effectively, and you can say, well, it actually wasn't that. Siding with SeaWorld when it comes to drainer, trainers being drowned by yeah, um, I've by, heard him by pol- orcas. Yeah, he's politely been described as eccentric when it comes to regulatory law, but he's he's, he's a dipshit is what it comes to. Reg- yeah, because so the the world out there is governed in a we're in a Chevron world where basically if your regulatory agency can regulate. Huh, Agencies are created with, by statute. Congress makes them with a statute, and when regula- uh, the agency interprets the statute under which it's created, that's supposed to be effectively good enough. That's you know that's the law. Them's the case. Yeah. And if they stray outside of that, and it's you know an improper whatever, that's what we decided on. This yeah. was a yeah, Scalia was in that decision. I mean, Chevron is... Chevron essentially allows regulatory agencies to do their jobs without Congress having to pass legislation every time. Right, and that's the whole point of the regulatory state is that Congress one lacks the expertise, two lacks the capability. Yeah, and it, you need regulatory agencies to do these things because otherwise you just can't get the gears of government 
not even like drown in a bathtub. It just rot. It it rots. Yeah. It rots on the vine. And so if a case goes up to a court, um, let's say the EPA comes up with a new regulation. Yep. Based on on their work, and someone challenges that under Chevron, the court's going to just presume and give some deference to the EPA. Yes. That doesn't mean they might not strike down the regulation, but it does mean that there there is that deference already there. Yeah. And the fact that Kavanaugh has basically, in as many words, said that Chevron is the wrong way to look at things. Yeah. And would go to a, I guess, a pure persuasion thing, which always ends up being, it's not persuasive, we're going to strike this down, because, of course, he's, it's, he's nakedly serving capital. I just wish people would be honest and say they're nakedly serving capital. Yeah. It would make things so much easier. Yeah. It's a defensible position, but no one wants to make it. Yeah. I don't I, y- Would Chevron be reversed or overruled if Kavanaugh was on the court? Maybe not. I think that Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh would vote, all three of them would vote to overrule Chevron and upend the state. Alito as well. I'm convinced. Alito might. He Alito doesn't have the same sort of principle. It's more based in like Republican policy. So he yeah. could fall along the spectrum that like Scalia did and just be like, oh, it's the well, law. Well, Scalia whatever. was very actually when it comes to regulatory law, he was a mixed bag. Yeah, like there, I can think of a few cases like the uh, Aereo case uh, that wasn't really a regulatory kind of, um, but he he wasn't antagonistic to the regulatory state. Yeah, I think it was like Fox v. FCC was a Scalia decision, which wasn't terrible. Yeah, it, it at least allowed agencies to like establish a basis for just or like Barnhart. There was a, another uh, agent uh, administrative case where he, again, that one was actually probably a weak case as far as like what the Social Security Administration based their decisions on their right. their their uh, interpretation of the law, and even uh, uh, Scalia, I almost called him Alito, Scalia, yeah, uh, <laughs> Scalia just oh, kind of like waved no. it along in a, yeah. in a weird non Scalia ish sense. Scalia's gone. Alito, I think, is much more. Well, I'll phrase it this way. Let's say, let's say Kavanaugh's on the court and they reversed um, Chevron. Yeah. I think, I think Alito would be his own concurring opinion. <laughs> I, I think yeah, that I he would that. be a little bit different than what Kavanaugh, and Thomas, and Gorsuch would do. Roberts, I don't know. Who he's he's every the person everyone's going to be watching. Yeah. Um, and Imagine you know, just a lot of people that might hear this might not like. You know, they'll hear our, our explanation of Chevron. They still might not understand, like, that would be a big deal. That would be, besides the reversal of, of Roe v. Wade, which is clearly the reason why they are really pushing for this conservative justice, right. Chevron would be the biggest case that would be at stake, besides yeah. Roe v. Wade. And to be clear, they don't have to, again, the, the focus on Roe is understood, but I think it misses the point. There have been cases thereafter that show that you can restrict, the court has said you can restrict abortion within certain parameters, and that's okay. And the restrictions, they keep on getting close to that edge, and they're they're pushing out the bleeding edge of what that is. Yeah. And that's all that the case will be. So eventually you can kill Roe, not explicitly through overturning, but just by whittling it away so that effectively, say, in a state like... I don't know, Texas, Mississippi, states where they've had these sorts of pushes before, you have a, quote, uh, reasonable or whatever language they're going to hide it in, restriction on abortion providers. Yeah. And it's going to effectively reduce the number in the state to zero. Yeah. And, and that's all they do. That's that's what a lot of people think is going to happen because KCV Planned Parenthood, which is yep. the major case um, following Roe v. Wade, actually reversed parts of Roe v. Wade and said, yep. no, this is wrong. And what it said was that there's a standard of, what is it? It has to be a substantial burden, I believe. Yeah. 
I'm, I can't use the lawyer term, so I don't want to make a mistake on it. Um, but it, it could be the sort of thing that comes up to the court where there's 15 cases about abortion that come up before the court. And the court says, no, that's not a substantial burden. You can only yeah. have, you know, you don't, uh, the d- doctor does have to have admitting privileges to a local hospital. Right. Um, there does have to be a, a month-long waiting period. It's yeah. not a substantial burden to, to cap it at four weeks. Yeah. You have um, to be an outpatient surgery center so you can provide other services. Yeah, all that sort of stuff that's... Yeah, without ever technically reversing Roe, that being said, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think that they would outright reverse Facially Roe. Facially challenge um, I think the Supreme Court would be ballsy enough to do that. And I think that if you look at the history of Roe v. Wade, that's what happened with Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, the one of the... Ruth Bader Ginsburg basically cut her teeth with um, gender-related issues before the court has always said that she the reason that she doesn't like Roe v. Wade is because she thought that abortion rights were legalized too fast before people could really understand them because she had that mindset of a lawyer, of thinking long-term. Right. Um, and that she would have liked to have seen it more the way they did Brown v. Board of Education, where there were cases for 20 years talking about integration, talking about like slowly whittling away specific universities. There was yeah. a strategy. Roe v. Wade, there was a few cases before that. But then they just did it all at once. Yeah. And I don't know if that would have changed things if, you know, they had slowly been giving more rights and then there was a big final thing. Maybe. I I mean, I think that's viewing things too charitably and too... um, Again, I think that puts law on some sort of metaphysical realm, which isn't real. I think it's maybe viewing things too charitably, but to the extent that Roe v. Wade was a a surprise... yeah, they would they would reverse it. Yeah, um, it would happen. And you know, to that, I I, I like to tell people, or I, at least I think anyway, that abortion needs to be viewed as a class issue, where oh, it, it, is. it doesn't have anything to do with the actual abortion, although it does. Um, it's about the control of of lower middle class people. Donald Trump and his sons will always be able to get their mistresses abortions. Yes. They can also just now fly to Ireland where it is constitutionally legal by amendment yeah. to do it if they want. Um, it's not about a wealthy person's or it's not about, you know, the actual general right of access to abortion. It's about keeping lower class and middle class women in line. Yeah. Absolutely. And into an ex- and that also feeds into lower class and middle class men in line. So I think when it's looked at as a class issue, it becomes more suspect. Clearly, wealthy Republicans support abortion. Yeah, because they they get them for yeah, their mistresses. They, they they support it in the sense that they actually pay for the service. Yeah, as provided by a physician. We got sidetracked. That was war gaming. Kavanaugh on the court. I was going to say I think Murkowski will be a no. I think Manchin will be a yes. Democrat uh, Joe Manchin. Yeah, Joe, Uncle Joe Manchin. Too well, many Uncle Joes in the Democratic yeah. Party these days. And what, I mean, speaking of abortion, you know the um, the whole sexual. Assault allegations really give Democrats way out. Joe Donnelly from Indiana, who is anti-abortion or purports to be, he's a no on Kavanaugh. He said so. He yeah. said, I'm going to vote no. Manchin might be yes. And I think he would be. Oh, because he's explicitly in favor of sexual assault. Clearly. Well, yeah. I mean, he may not have said it on the record, but we, uh, we can read between the lines here. Look at that, look at that face. So, nothing about him says consensual. <laughs> Ever. Oh. For anything. Um, you know, they, one of the things I've heard about like red state Democrats, like they're, cons- that, that's not even fair. Not, not red state Democrats, but like 
conservative Democrats would be, you know, at times like this, it's better to have them than to not have them. Clearly, like Joe Donnelly is going to be a no. I, I, Heidi Heitkamp might be a no. I would say she's probably a no. Like, um, Manchin, I think, is going to swing the other way because he thinks that's most politically expedient for him. Right. If he is a no, I still think Murkowski would be a no, and then Pence would just come in and break the tie. So what happens? What's the fallout? Um, as far as well, it's right. It's right before a midterm. Which, you know, yeah. midterms are always a punch in the gut to the party in power. It's just yeah. how it is. And that if, if it, what, pushes one House vote or two House votes blue, it's not going to turn the Senate. Yeah. It's not going to, you know, it, it may create in the short term some enthusiasm for a, a the Democratic voting population. I don't think you're going to see anything uh, approaching what you need to like take back the Senate or like mount a, uh, a challenge to, I can't believe we're saying this <laughs> current president, Donald Trump. Yeah. It just feels wrong every time um, until, until, and what's going to do it is the first time that a then justice Kavanaugh gets to hear a case that directly implicates exactly one of the things people are afraid of. Yeah. A regular, maybe not a regulatory case because, I think that's where he's arguably the most dangerous. Yeah. Um, because those come up so often. Mm-hmm. And there is now that, you know, there's enough people in the court. There's a heavy block that could do serious damage. A guy like Roberts is clearly sus- suspect of that entire world. Yeah. Whereas the other four are very much antagonistic towards it. Yeah. Like Clarence Thomas is a, a destroy the administrative state, return to Lochner. I mean, Clarence guy. Thomas invented that almost. Yeah, I mean, I mean he. Yeah, if, if nothing else, he's cer- he's certainly the most uh, published yeah. person in that because every time it's an administrative case, it's Thomas J dissenting. Uh, take administrative bodies and and throw them in the river. Yeah, no, I I say I think I think you know fifty years from now. I told you, I think Thomas yeah. will be more influential than Scalia. Scalia's, you said, you know, Scalia's wrote, written more opinions. He's he written has. more opinions yeah. of um, import. Yep. But I think Thomas's direct influence on the conservative judicial intelligentsia will be more felt for a longer period of time. I definitely, I, I definitely think now that the landscape of the the Republican and conservative view of law is definitely Thomas more than Scalia. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and to that extent, I. Totally agree with you. People, people, well, Republicans, conservative Republicans like Scalia more than Thomas yeah. because he was, he had a fun little verbiage and honestly probably because he's white and they're racist. Um, yeah, wrong. <laughs> Thomas, for what it's worth, I think Clarence Thomas was much smarter than Scalia. He's better at explaining what he wants to do, but he's crazy. He's, he's a crazy person who wants to do like really bad things. And evil. Yeah, crazy and evil. But he's crazy evil, but he's, if if you read his decisions, he's not he doesn't have the flowery prose of Scalia. No. And when I say flowery, I mean he occasionally came up with a funny turn of phrase or had one of his clerks think of something funny to say, like applesauce, and called it a day. Thomas is very succinct. Thomas had that has that innate ability that every judge and lawyer in the entire country should envy, where he can take a very complicated concept and just explain it very easily. Yeah. That's something that people will that that's the sort of thing that will prevent a good judge from being a great judge and he can just do it and it's baffling because he says these things that that are really bad 
but he can do it like you said succinctly. Yeah, his descents will be like a page. Oh yeah, they're the easiest thing you can do in the world. So when you see it say a Clarence Thomas descent, it'll take you two seconds. Read it. Yeah, you um, won't agree. Or I hope. You and know. so I think you know the danger of Kavanaugh, like you've been saying, he's he's a bad person. He shouldn't be on the court morally or ethically, but the danger of him on the court is being an enabler to these these ideas. You know, Thomas has been on the court since 91, but he's always been his own guy. Even when, you know, he's been with Scalia on things, he's just been off. He's been on his own. Now there's Thomas Gorsuch and maybe Kavanaugh. Um, So, yeah, maybe not having the biggest effect in the midterms. Maybe not having the sway in the states where it needs to have a sway. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's, I don't, I don't feel good about where things are going. I'm just going to say that in a, in a broad sense. You know, the country, perhaps now, now that we have at least some rights um, yeah. that have been clawed back from the original framing of the Constitution that aren't li- likely going to go away anytime soon, and I'm talking about, like, no slaves and things like that, Yeah. you know, uh, women's suffrage, etc. Maybe federalism was the right way. Maybe an actual, like, federalist approach is the right way. Because at this point, the federal government, as it is, is not an institution that you can look to to be like the solution. I the, disagree. I th- I think right now, I think it's broken by design. Yeah. And it's it's like with electoral issues when when elections themselves cannot be rectified except when a court says an election has to rectify it, like how the you know gerrymandering cases have come out. Where it's like, well, you have to fix it through the electoral process. If the electoral process itself is broken and you are forced to do it through elections, there just isn't the capability to do so competently because you've art. The thing you have to fix is the thing that's broken, and you're you fixing it with the broken thing. Well, I, I think that a lot of the damage that is happening and has been done is due to the remnants of federalism that's in the Constitution. The things that have been changed from the original Federalist like plan like direct election of senators yeah well you know i mean we might get stuck with you know a joe manchin in west virginia like a a democrat that we wish was more liberal and more progressive um but we might also get stuck with like chuck grassley who supports rape presumably um or lindsey graham who went on a big yelling spree about how much he doesn't care if a sexual a serial sexual assaulter is on the supreme court um but it is a direct election of senators, I think, is is better overall. Um, but then you look at, like, look at Donald Trump in 2016, who did lose the popular vote, who won because of the Electoral College, which is the Federalist safeguard. Yeah. You know, or you look at the Supreme Court. I would say that the Federalist safeguard to the federal judiciary is appointment of judges and for lifetime terms instead of lifetime terms instead of a direct election so i think the federalist safeguards are actually part of the the problem um but you know then then of course you get to the situation where maybe it if it changed tomorrow and it swung in the the way that i think it possibly could you know if all 65 million people who did vote for hillary clinton voted for liberal or democratic or progressive candidates well in 30 years 20 years you know they could just elect a donald trump by a popular vote yeah would they i don't know maybe not now um 
but do you think so you said that you don't think Kavanaugh is going to sway 2018 how do you what do you think is going to just briefly because I think we can game this out in another episode but so do you think the the Senate is completely out of play for Democrats this year yeah yes I think it's it's um I don't even know how many seats they have to pick up. I, I can't think it off the top of my head. It's uh, either 40... There's 49... Well, there's 47 Democrats 47. and the two independents that caucus with them. And I was looking at the... Just the other day, but I don't have it up in front of me now, was the... Um, uh, not Rasmussen. Uh, I can't think of... Whoever does the 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 plus values for... Real clear politics? Um, I don't think it's them who do... I forgot who started the whole process, but normally it's only really salient in... in district-wide elections yeah um <clears throat> but at the same time when you look at how safe a state is yeah or, or how up for grabs a state is i don't feel confident but even let's just say that you now have a split you know between the executive and the legislative so that means you just have stalemate that doesn't do anything and you certainly don't have the ability to substantively undo anything in that amount of time and that creates what is stasis that creates yeah. stasis, and that creates easier talking points to one side than the other. In that, you can say the Democrats aren't doing anything, right? And they can, you know, pass bills and then have Trump veto them all day. But the messaging is still a lot easier coming from one guy than from you know, two hundred and seventy something Democrats in the House, and then fifty one well, in the Senate. It's I would say let, let's let's presume a I, now. Oh, I'm rambling. I'm pausing. I see a path to victory to the Democrats in the Senate. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. I see a path to victory if even just 51 to 49. Um, I think it could happen, but let's just say that it did. Let's say that they get the Senate and the House, um, and then you have a Bill Clinton 94 scenario, yeah. where it's him, but. Congress is swung in majorities in the other way. But then you look at who the president is and it's it's Donald Trump and he's big and dumb. Yeah. Um and what does Donald Trump love the most? Winning. Democrats could be in a position to just there've been I mean there have been stories where Democrats will give him things and he'll be like, "Oh yeah, I'll sign this cuz it makes me look good to my people." Right. And then everybody wins. Because he because Donald Trump is senile and losing his mind and he forgets what happened in a previous week. You know, even if he's mad at the Democrats now, if they give him bills and they're like, you know, studies show that your people will like this, that's all Donald Trump has to hear. I think that that if if we did have a Democratic Congress, Donald Trump could end up like being fine. And there could be maybe not like the legislation we'd exactly want, but there could be things that were helpful for him. But I want to focus on like the Kavanaugh impact. I don't think that Kavanaugh being the court would help the senators in the states where it would need to help. Um, that being said, I think that in some places it wouldn't really matter. Um, I think that the Democrats do have a path to victory. And I think that the Kavanaugh allegations might be more impactful in the House, but in the Senate, that's going to be up to the Senate. That's going to be different. But let's talk... Maybe we could talk about long-term. 
Because do you think that there's any credence to what I say that people are just going to completely forget or completely ignore and lose respect for what the Supreme Court has to say? I think we could be on the precipice of a point where the Supreme Court will hand down a decision and states would be very willing to ignore it. I, I would not be surprised. Um, but again, this is now, um, this is where the danger, <clears throat> pardon me, of, of Kavanaugh is, is that so much of his judicial antagonism is towards the regulatory state, which yeah. permits so much of our daily lives to actually function and not be terrible. Um, and the states can't ignore that yeah. because it's purely a function of federal regulatory agencies. So if, if Kavanaugh is, that's where he's going to do the most damage. And there's no way that you can avoid that, which is the really scary part. You have states that will take up the reins. In terms, I mean, California is the, the example of a state yeah. that has taken their regulatory role very seriously Yeah. when it comes to emissions and now with net neutrality and things like that. Yeah. Well, that it, was the example I was going to bring up. They, yeah. uh, they, passed one of, they passed a net neutrality bill. Yeah. It's now the strictest one in the, in the country. They reimposed net neutrality just in California. And the Trump administration's Department of Justice challenged it an hour after. Yep. It had been signed. Yeah. So I think that that's where you might see, let's say there's a unfavorable Supreme Court decision. You know, whoever the next California governor is at that time, because uh, Jerry Brown's probably wouldn't be governor anymore. Let's say it's Gavin Newsom. Newsom. It's going to be Newsom. (laughs) Probably. What 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 would you like? I I don't care. Yeah. I I think that would be justifiable in a certain sense. It's like, this is too political. You're, you're You're making shit up. You know, I we haven't talked about the uh, Janus v. Ask Me case, which yeah. decimated public sector union funding schemes and turned every public sector union nationally into right to work because, you know, I can get on my soapbox about that all day. But I read that opinion, and the majority opinion, in my opinion, was just making stuff up. Sure. And just ignoring precedent and ignoring what judges should actually do because they just wanted to take a policy position presented by Republicans. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, why wouldn't Gavin Newsom just ignore a decision like that? I think that that's going to be a, a big question that we're going to have to face. And I think that that gets back to the whole the, the the heart of it is that legitimacy comes from the governed and not you know again people have this weird and our peers in particular I think are way too into this as well. Yeah, that law is something that's just something more. It's it's this. This grand thing that that looms over us all and makes sure we all get stay in line and whatever else you want to qualify it as in these sweeping terms. When really it's it's a reflection of things. It can be contorted. Yeah. And it, it can be manipulated to bad ends. Yeah. And if if at a point people say, fuck this, it, look historically, uh, it, you know, everyone hates comparative, but look at. Other countries that have had a sham judiciary. Yeah. It takes a long time to get that back. Yeah. If, if you ever do. Yeah. I mean, I think a sham judiciary is something that might not be reattainable I mean, to, to get to get back to maybe what we had in terms of independence and uh, a judiciary unfettered by the political aspect. I think I think it's been there for a longer time than most people. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of it is I, I trace everything back to Reagan the guy who who very deliberately appointed people who just messed with the system, who just didn't care about it, right? You know, and Scalia might have been good on some things, but he also was the start of a lot of it and others. And then you get George H. W. Bush who puts in Thomas, yep. Um, 
but you know to bring it to labor law again which is what i know um the national labor relations board national labor NLRB. yeah nlrb the board members are similar to um federal judges are appointed yeah and they have to go through the senate nomination process just like if they were like a, a supreme court justice or a judge um and the person that Reagan put into Chariot didn't even think that union should exist. He famously wouldn't hold meetings of the board, you know, and I think that these are, this is the system. And then the Democrats response for a very long time was to just put in the same old people that, and not in a bad sense. I think that that made sense in like the nineties, like, Oh, well, okay. Here's like the normal guy that's just going to hold the precedent and be like, you know, here's, here's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Who is I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she seems really great now, but in a lot of ways her jurisprudence is not that especially different from a, from what a normal left leaning judge would do. Right. No. Yeah, I, you I, know. I'm with you on that one. She's she's important and special for for maybe other reasons, but not because she is leading the charge on new legal theories or things like that. No. And that's who Democrats have always put in the court is people that hold to maybe a more liberal or open view of the constitution that just hold on to precedent. Whereas Supreme court justices by, or appellate justices by conservatives, they just put in whoever. Yeah. People who will radically go to policy ends. That's yeah, absolutely the case. Oh, so Andrew, this has been our, our big comeback episode and we haven't had a lot of jokes. Do you want to riff on anything? Is there anything funny going on? You know, uh, I, I have to ask what movie is now? Because I know who would play the president right now if yeah. if he weren't dead. It's Rodney Dangerfield. There's only one answer. Oh, um, that would be so. It'd be so. He'd be like, hey, hey, I mean, you can see it in your mind's eye, and it's perfect. It's it's an yeah. Oscar-winning movie. Yeah. So, what movie is it right now? Like, if you're instead of casting the president, in what movie is the president right now? And I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. It's somewhere between like Eyes Wide Shut and Richie Rich. Oh my God. But I don't know exactly where it lands. Well, now I'm just imagining Richie Rich in an eyes wide shut scenario, and that's illegal. <laughs> um, well, so here's your so here's the issue: is it a comedy or a drama? Because that's gonna that's gonna change a lot of things. Uh, are there enough films in a category that you could call farce? Because I feel like that's where we are. Yeah, no, it's a farce. Yeah. Well, because I'm thinking like that Mel Brooks angle of oh, you know, you mock it because it takes away the power. Oh, that's what he is. Yeah. He's the pedomane. Yeah. Exactly. He's William J. Lepetamane from Blazing Saddles. He, absolutely. I mean, he's Lepetamane. Life is not Blazing Saddles because at the end, what happens? Hilarity. Yeah. Um, and the good guys win. I'm not convinced that's happening Yeah. yet. Hey, um, it's happened in the past. We can all hope, but it doesn't look too good right now. Right. Um, he's certainly Lepetamane, though. You're right. I, I want to dispel any notion that Chris Farley would be a good Trump. Chris no. Farley was a Republican. Chris Farley yeah. was a big fan of the contract with America. All those '90s guys are fucking Republicans. Isn't that weird? SNL people, like yeah. I don't know about David Spade per se. Oh no, David Spade, I think would would lean. Maybe he would classify himself as an independent, but one of those independents who's like, oh, I don't know. But at the end of the day, he's like voting for Trump and stuff. I will say, uh, he, I, I like him the most out of that crop of the Sandlerites. Sandler's right wing for sure. Um, well, as long as you're saying by that that you don't consider Chris Rock to be part of that, he was always on the outside of that show. Okay, and I, yeah. I, I refuse to include him in that era, okay. even though he was one of the best things that happened out of it. Just check. Sure. I just checking. Yeah, no, no, no. I 
I knew you were going to ask about Chris Rock, and I'm like, well, let me clarify. Yeah. Chris Rock may be friends in that, you know. They all know each other. Happy Madison but, thing. But he's his own independent thing. And I th- wasn't Chris Rock in one of those or two of those, you know, like the movies where the dads all oh, hang grown out? Ups? Yeah. Grown Ups and Grown Ups too, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, that's the thing is Chris Rock is just friends with all of them. But, yeah, in terms of how all of their careers shook out, Chris Rock is very different from them. For sure. Absolutely. Um yeah, Farley's not a Trump. It, it had to have been Rodney Dangerfield, and if it's not Rodney Dangerfield, I don't see a good second person. John Candy. Now you see, Candy was too likable. Yeah, yeah, too likable. You can't not like John Candy. Yeah, even if he is playing an asshole, like on, on SC, uh, yeah, SCTV, he would play like, I guess, bad or unlikable people, but you still loved him. Maybe uh, John Belushi. Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi is the same prom as Farley, <laughs> where he's just too much of an asshole. He's a chud in a um, lot of ways. All right. Oh, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to. Th- I'm thinking like the greatest comeback story in the history of of mankind would be like if if Chevy Chase gained like a hundred pounds <laughs> and went into like a Donald Trump because Chevy Chase cut his teeth, like starred SNL, became the first phenomenon, and, and played Ford. Who looked and, nothing and like? And he played that. Ford, and the joke was he didn't look like Ford. Yeah. The greatest comeback story would be would be Chase doing Trump, but for the fact that like since 1975 to 1976, everyone has so much dirt on Chevy Chase and hates him that yeah. it, would, it would literally have to be the best movie ever made. And the thing is, Chevy Chase, as as much as I you know the stories about him all ring true, and he does seem like a, a genuine asshole in a lot of yeah. those comic genius. Oh, and he's he's hilarious. Like next level comedy, and I, the the great Bill Murray comeback where he just points up and says medium talent, medium, yeah. is a great insult, but it's a lie. Yeah, because Chevy Chase, for all of his tremendous pervasive flaws, is a goddamn comic genius. Yeah, like Steve Martin comic genius. Yeah, Chevy, like, and uh, I, I think the difference is that Steve Martin could like tell you his theory and his philosophy and be like, "This is why I did this." Chevy Chase, you just g- g- give him something, give yeah. him like a jar, and just let him go to town. Yeah. And that's that's, that's what he does is he just like fumbles and he bumbles and it's hilarious and you're like whoa. <laughs> so yeah, no, you're you're completely right. Chevy Chase is from out of this world and that's what makes him seem so good. It's like one of those Did you ever watch the show Community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like one of the ending tags when the credits are playing where he's just at an ice cream machine and it breaks and he can't <laughs> stop the ice cream from coming out and is like and then he just he kind of like fiddles with it and then just walks away. That's that's what he does. He's he's really good at at all, and he's he yeah yeah. Chevy Chase could be Donald Trump in a movie. But that leaves the question: What movie is now? Yeah, what movie? And I don't is know it? what movie it is. It's like it's easy to say like it's RoboCop. It's not RoboCop. No, it's not Robo. There's no joy. No, <laughs> RoboCop at least had joy. Yeah, there's also not a lot of positive feelings towards cops. Yeah, well, that's well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is this. Can, I, can can go I, on a, I can go on a Paul Verhoeven rant for years. Can I can uh, I say that I over the summer I worked with a lot of police officers and like I I've never like actually talked to a police officer before the summer. I met a lot of them. I worked a lot of with them this summer, and I was like, and I did a lot of of cases with them, and a lot of it like really lives and dies by the cop. Oh and sure, it, that really surprised me in terms of you know. And these were not this wasn't like in big cities. These were like small towns. Like maybe there's a police force like five guys. Yeah, you know, and it's like really astounding to me to to really be like oh like lives and dies by a guy in terms of and i know i'm not just talking about you know in terms of like actual the, the, yeah in terms of someone actually living or dying yeah i just mean in terms of like how the law is enforced it's like whoa 
Um, well, that was a sidetrack. I mean, but what movie is now? What movie is now? And it's it's something that I I always try and check myself mentally, and I don't know where we're at. Okay, now. Here, here's what movie is now. The movie that's happening right now is one of those Elvis Presley movies. <laughs> I I don't know any of the Elvis Presley like Blue, Blue Hawaii. Hawaii is the only one I can ever think of. <laughs> Wasn't Heartbreak Hotel actually a movie too? Heartbreak Hotel didn't he do one? You know, you I know think what? it was just a, I don't know. You have to Google that. Elvis. So here's movies. the thing with Elvis Presley movies is that Elvis wanted so bad to be a movie star. Blue Hawaii, King Creole, Flaming Star, Fall That Dream, Wild in the Country, Kid Galahad, GI Blues. He did a lot of movies. I think one Kiss of those. Is, I think like one of them is authentically considered to maybe be okay, but they're all garbage. They're all terrible movies. Oh God. He, okay, so like a Elvis was not an actor by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, he wanted to be, he, you know, yeah, he, he really, he, we'll give him a little he had the look. He really tried. He, oh, for, I'm not going to, I'm never going to doubt that Elvis put in the work. He threw away, let's say, six or seven years of his life, did not release an album, tried it in the movie thing, locked in the contract, would put out pieces of just shit, just garbage, just like terrible things where he couldn't act. The, there was no plot, thin yeah. characters, and then he would sing a song, and but the song would hit like number one, yeah. and people would just go see the movie. We are living in an Elvis movie, where that, that's not bad. All all the pieces are there, and it looks real, but then you go and see it, and it's just really bad, and it just keeps coming out. <laughs> I will say, I'm looking at his. This is the most insane filming schedule I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Three movies in 1964. Yeah. Kissing Cousins, Viva Las Vegas, and Roustabout. Three in 1965. Three in 1966. Three in 1967, 68, and 69. Yeah, because his... That is insane. Yeah, his manager was just riding him. Oh, I mean, uh, Tom Parker is one of the great monsters of history. But three movies a year. I uh, I read this interesting interview about... Not interview. This interesting review of the new HBO documentary, The Searcher, which is about Elvis. I watched a little bit. Yeah, which really, and I've heard like mixed things about the documentary, and I watched the first part of it, and I, I liked it. Um, but it, it talked about it was from the AV Club. I don't remember the the author's name, but it talked about how they really liked how it focused in on Elvis's artistry, yeah. and like how he was someone who who was just taken advantage of, but really did focus and really did care about the music aspect that came out. Oh, for sure. And I've been on a big Elvis kick all summer, so, you know, that's probably why it's on my mind. But I went to uh, Graceland um, with my girlfriend, which was cool. Um, and one of the, and I have been listening to this album that came out in the past, like, half deck, maybe in, like, 2014. And it was just the, the London Philharmonic took Elvis recordings and recorded along with it. Huh. And, like, Lisa Marie Presley released a statement, and she was like, yeah. Elvis would have fucking loved this. This is exactly what he wanted to do. Like, he was an artist. He didn't care about the music he put out, but he didn't want to touch the business side at all. And if it was just Colonel Tom Parker, his manager, it would have literally just been Elvis singing alone in a studio, but nothing else. Yeah. So it was interesting to be like, and I think that's where we're at as a country, is uh, the forces or powers that be. (laughs) The question is, who is Colonel Tom? Oh, who is Colonel Tom? Question eight: Who killed JFK? But where are they now? Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I got you. You know, Donald Trump is not Colonel Tom. 
No. Donald Trump's, he's not Elvis either, but he's not Colonel Tom. No. Who is the person that's making us be in this terrible, terrible movie and won't let us out of our contract? And where will our 1968 comeback special be coming from? Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to a new concept. The name, Carl. Carl (laughs) Marx. A 17-part series coming up next under Andrew Duranthony, the beginning of the communist revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd watch it. I would... Uh, it's, it's coming all too real. It's feeling too real these days. Anyway, that's all I have. All right. I'm I'm tapped out. I'm emotionally spent from this, let's say, three years. I need to use the bathroom. That's probably a good time for us to break because otherwise it just gets awkward. All Goodbye, right. everybody. Goodbye.